Hey everybody, thank you so much for checking out this episode of Coming Up In My Sneakers. We have uh, today, we have Nicole Hyatt and she is a business owner. Uh, she's best known for her business called Tan On The Run. Welcome, Nicole. Hi. Hey. Um, my pleasure, my pleasure. So I'll jump right into it as I always do. Uh, where did you grow up? So I was actually born and raised in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Oh, okay. Um, and I moved to Toronto when I was 21. Nice. So what was it like growing up in Thunder Bay? Like probably cold, right? Yeah, it was cold and there's not a lot, there's not a lot going on there. So um, what made me move to Toronto was coming here to visit and realizing that there's a lot more out there than, than what's in Thunder Bay. So if you like camping, fishing, skiing, outdoors stuff, it's a great place to be. But um, it's cold, you know, nine months out of the year. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so were you actually Nicole do you mind just turning up your mic a little bit I'm so sorry it's it's getting a little quiet again yeah. thanks okay is that better way better yeah thank you so much oh. um, okay so you grew up there and like what sort of stuff were you into as a kid like were you into sports or art or what did what type of stuff did you do I did do a lot of sports, so swimming um, was probably my main thing that I did growing up. I did a lot of competitive swimming, and I did that up until probably I was about 16. And um, I liked basketball as well, too. So I played that with school, and uh, that was about it. A little bit of soccer, um, fishing I actually really liked. So I haven't got to do a lot of that since I came here. So that's something that um, was fun to do growing up. Awesome. Um, so it was perfect that you were living up there, I guess, if you like to do all those things. So that worked out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then what about in like high school and stuff? Did you sort of, um, like, did you sort of always, oh, and what did your parents do? Like, did, is there any business owners in your family? Yeah. So actually my father, um, owns a trucking company. So he hauls logs and has a quite large company in Northern Ontario. And, um, my mom is a college professor. She teaches travel and tourism. And my grandma on my mother's side actually owned a um, high-end retail clothing store growing up. So I kind of grew up running around the store and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Awesome. And so did you, like, when did you sort of first have a feeling that you might want to own a business? I think I always knew that. So right from when I was young, um, I never really wanted to work for anybody. I'm not really a nine to five type. I kind of like to Without sounding bad, I like to get up when I want to and kind of, you know, do what I want to do throughout the day. So having someone tell me what to do wasn't really in my path. So I've actually never had a, I guess what some people would call it as a real job. I've always done um, business type of stuff. So I worked for my dad a little bit growing up through high school, which kind of introduced me to stuff like the accounting or the behind the scenes stuff on actually running a business. And uh, then coming to Toronto, I really had no idea what kind of business I wanted to open. I just knew I wanted to open something. So um, I had taken psychology in school and then realized I got pregnant actually in my third year and then realized that I'm either going to have to put in thousands more dollars and spend years and years and years on end before I actually can come out and make money or I better think of something fast to make money. Interesting. So what brought you to Toronto? Were you doing school here? 
No, so I actually started at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay. Okay. And I came here on a trip just actually to go to the clubs with my friends <laughs> when I was um, 21. So that was the kind of the purpose of the trip. And it was supposed to be like a weekend trip. And I ended up staying for three weeks. And then oh, okay. after that, realizing that I just wanted to be here, not there anymore, I went home and sold my house, packed up my stuff and moved here and never left. So it's been without aging myself almost 20 years. Wow. So, oh, so you already had owned a home in Thunder Bay. That's amazing at such a young age. Yeah. It was a lot more affordable there. So the, my first house was 75,000. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's Didn't happen of. here right away. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. So you're just like, yeah, I'm just over it. And you decided to come here. And sorry, were you in school at that time or, or not? I was, yeah. So I was, I was attending uh, psychology at Lakehead University. Okay, right. And then did you end up finishing or you were just like, whatever, I'm just going to come to Toronto? Well, I ended up transferring here. So I did a little bit at Ryerson and then a little bit at York. And then within the first year of kind of being in those schools is when I had gotten pregnant. So right. Um, that kind of sidetracked everything. I tried to go back once I had my son, but I mean, they just, it, it was too hard. So I know a lot of people do it, but just for me, it, it wasn't working out. And I just couldn't see the, the future anytime soon. So it was so far out that if I wanted to stay here and pay the astronomical amount of rent that was here and stuff like that, I had to make money. There was really no room to, um, to go to school and, and wait for things to happen. Mm-hmm. I hear you for sure. Um, so then at that time, were you just like, like, is that when you decided to start this business or like, what did, what was your immediate thing? Like as soon as you were living in Toronto and like not in school anymore, and now you have a baby on the way, what was like your decision to like, how did you move forward? So I actually went home for a couple months when I was pregnant, um, went home, stayed with my mom for a little while, for about five months. And when my son was two months old, I realized that. Um, I better get out of here now or else I'm going to be stuck here. <laughs> so I mm-hmm. um, packed him up and I had actually left my stuff in storage in Toronto, not knowing whether I was going to come back or not. Um, so then I just kind of packed my stuff, moved here. And for a little while, I was able to work remotely with my father doing some type of accounting stuff. So that kind of kept me going here until I transitioned into opening business. Sorry, until you transitioned where? Into opening my business. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, and tell me about that story. Like, how did you even come up with the idea and, and how long ago was it? Because this is pretty timely now, but you're already really successful. So I feel like it was like, like you had the idea a while ago. Yeah, I started 15 years ago. Um, so actually right after I had my son, so he was about six months old when I started and it was really weird. I was actually walking in a community center that I had him at and I didn't really know what I wanted to do life and I looked over at this board and it said have you ever wanted to open a business I had I'm like yes I do (laughs) Um, in fact I called the number um and it was actually a government funded program where they um I think it was called BizStart or something like that and they still run it um but it was like a six month to a year program where they actually pay you to go to school and to work on a business plan and learn how to um, start your business. So there was a small time where I ended up being on social assistance from the time that I had my son to the time that I opened my business. So that gave me that little bit of time um, to work on my business while getting paid to go to school and then transition to starting a business. 
Amazing. Um, Nicole, are you moving your head around a lot? Because just your audio is going in and out. And I'm just wondering, I know you're using your computer speak uh, or your computer mic, but um, I'm wondering if you're like moving your head around a lot. Maybe. Let me sit a little bit closer too, because originally I had it positioned differently because I thought it was going to be video. So I'll just move closer and that might help. Okay, perfect. Sorry, I'm just I'm listening, but then it's like getting loud and then going in and out. So I'm like trying to figure out what you might be doing on the other side. Okay, I'm probably moving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Thanks. Um, so that's so cool. That like what what a what um sort of a fateful like poster. It's like, do you want to order business? Well, and, or or do you want to open a business? It's like, well, in fact, I do actually. Exactly. Um, so that's going to be more perfect. Yeah. And I feel like Ontario is pretty good. Like I've done some grant things myself and I think they are, are like pretty good at helping people get started. If people know about them though, I think the, the only problem is a lot of people don't know about a lot of the grants that are out there, but um, that's really good. So, so right away, did you have the idea for like a tanning business or how did it sort of evolve? Um, actually, originally I was going to do a recording studio with my, well now husband, but at the time um, boyfriend and uh, I didn't really know anything about music or anything like that. So we started that for like maybe a month. That's what we, the idea was. And then I just said, you know what? I don't know anything about this. I'm not really passionate about it, to be quite honest. Um, yeah. Let me pick something that I can really work on. So I had got tans in salons before. And because my son was small, it was really hard to go to a tanning salon and get a tan. So in my head, I was like, this would be really cool if someone could just come to my house and do this. So that's kind of what gave me that idea because 15 years ago, mobile, anything wasn't really a thing. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what made me start that. Amazing. Yeah. Mo mobile. It's, it's weird. Cause it's so convenient, but for some reason, just, yeah, nobody thought of people were like, come to my house. That's so weird. <laughs> right. Um, that's awesome. So so it transitioned to that and was it like the mobile thing right away like what was that your core business plan and then you like evolved from there yeah so it, it mobile right away was more so because i couldn't afford to rent a salon so that was okay. not happening in toronto or downtown or wherever it would be uh, beneficial or a good uh, area to have a salon so that Sorry, Nicole, can, I have to stop you again. I can't hear you at all. Really? Oh, yeah, weird. it's going, it, like I can hear you and then it goes so quiet that like, it's like you're barely there. Hey, weird, I don't know what's happening. I haven't I moved. Know. I know, that's so strange. Um, okay, sorry, do you mind just repeating what you just said? Yeah, sorry, can you say the question again? Yeah, no problem. Um, I just wanted to know how sort of, I guess, like your business model evolved. Like you said, it started with, oh, it started with being um, mobile to people's homes because you couldn't uh, get a spot at the time. Right, so back then, uh, rent was still probably to get a place downtown, like $4,000 a month or something like that. And then in addition to renting the place, you have to um, renovate it and, and whatnot. So that was just way out of reach for me. So that's kind of, why I started doing it mobile um, and it was really slow going at first like I mean like the first thing I did to promote myself was Craigslist so you can see how far back that's mm -hmm, going mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, then it just kind of started growing from there I actually at some point had to take my son with me on appointments if I didn't have anyone to watch him so there was a lot of uh, you know 
different things that had to go into it to make it work back then. Right. And did you sort of see, um, so after you post on Craigslist, like, were you seeing an influx of people being like, yeah, I need this. Like, how did you sort of get the, the confirmation that this was going to work? Slowly. So I, well, I kind of didn't give myself another option. So I didn't really have a plan B. So my plan A just had to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And, and then it just started going off referrals. So you know, it started by, I didn't know anyone here either because I had just moved here. You know, I knew a few people, but not enough where you would think, let's start a business because I have a great network. Um, so it just started getting referrals and stuff like that. And then I actually ended up getting a lot of inquiries about training because not only mobile wasn't big, but spray tanning wasn't really huge back then either. So it was kind of a new um, beauty process for people to to take on. So I started getting a lot of inquiries regarding training, um, which then made me franchise my company rather than training people I franchised and kind of built my network that way. That's awesome. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask you about that, what made you and how many franchises do you currently have? I have 30 in Canada and I have one in Namibia, Africa and one in um, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. That's amazing. Yeah, and then randomly I have six uh, spas and ho- like high-end hotels that I trained in Sharm el Sheikh, uh, Egypt. Wow, that's amazing! Congratulations, that's a huge accomplishment. It's kind of ironic. Like I was not expecting to hear Mexico because I'm. <laughs> I feel like it's just <laughs> always know. nice there. So like everyone's just always Dan. <laughs> yeah, it's actually well. That's what I thought, especially when I heard you know when someone inquired from Africa and from Egypt. I was like, okay, why are people getting tans? I thought it was a scam at first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but it's the tourists that they target. So it's definitely right. not the locals. It's the people coming in to get married. Um, right, right. Being on vacation, I know myself. I'm very light skin tone, so I can't get a tan in the sun. I either go red or I I stay white, one or the other. So it's for people like that that are on their vacation and now their tan's kind of worn off, so they'll actually reget it while they're there. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And um, so, wow, you have a lot. So that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Congratulations! And what made you like all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to franchise this? So I started getting a lot of inquiries about training and um, the thing with training is once you train someone, you want to make sure they're successful as well. So you don't really want to just train people and then have them out there kind of, you know, using your name and then maybe not doing such a great job. So I figured, you know, if you train somebody, you get paid one time for it and then they kind of go off on their own. You're going to want that support, but you're not getting paid for that support. So, um, I wanted to franchise so people were a little bit more invested in it themselves, which would allow me to be a little bit more invested in making them successful. Nice. Okay. Um, So what was your, do you remember what your very first franchise was? Yeah. So it was Richmond Hill actually. Oh, nice. And is that person still the, the owner? No. So she actually ended up moving to Vancouver um, probably about five years later. So th- she was actually, yeah, the first one, I think in grade, or John grade, um, year 2007. And she moved, I think in 2011. And since then I have someone else in the area. Nice. And did you always have, so w- what about like a formula? Like how did you go about creating your, your actual like tanning product? Um, 
and all of that. And like, what about your, um, like your actual like sprayer and all of your systems? Like, how did you go about like creating all of that? And I know your, your product is organic. Like, was it always that way or, um, not. Yeah. So actually when I first, <laughs> Sorry, what a well, what, question. <laughs> when I first started out, there were a few products on the market, um, but they're orange. So I don't know if you ever spray tanned way back in the day. I, yeah. A few times I, I got orange as well. Yeah. So it was orange or they smelled bad. Um, the smell. They, oh my God. Yeah. Like that really nasty smell that you, you can't even stand the smell of yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's how they started. So what I did way back then was I ended up trying out kind of everything that was on the market and picking what I liked out of each of those products and oh. sending that to the manufacturer with my feedback. And then it took a long time. So really to develop my own solution was probably about a two year process from the time that I said, Hey, I'm going to do this to the time that I actually got it in my hands. Oh, so you were just like purchasing a solution way back when, when you first started and then you like start developed from there exactly because everyone i tried i found something wrong with it so one the smell was okay but it made people orange and then the other wasn't orange but it made people streaky so there was a lot of mm -hmm. trial and error and i thought there's got to be some way to combine all the good and make it into one which i don't know why a lot of people haven't done yet because there's still a lot of bad products out on the market blows my mind and i know you and i have like sort of discussed this already and for people listening i i was, was um i was grateful enough to like thank you for sending me your at home kits which i want to talk about soon too but i did try it um and if anyone listening follows me on instagram you would have seen my review but um it, it literally, I couldn't believe it was the first, and I'm not just saying this, it was the first product of like tanning product I've ever used that didn't smell bad. And, and I've like, I've used so many as well, just cause like living in Canada, you're just pale all winter and I can't stand it. And like, I am a person that will tan in the summer. So when it goes away, it's like so sad. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but like when I think about all the creams I have and like perfumes and like hairsprays and I'm like, all of this, all of these companies have managed to make this product smell like either nothing or good. So it's like, how the fuck has it, hasn't a tanning company or figured out how to like, it's, it seemed like, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs, but it seemed like such a simple fix for me in my head. And I'm like, and I was shocked that in 2020, that was the first time ever with your product that I, that I tried it and it didn't smell like complete garbage. So I think that was like a very, the, sorry. Oh, do you know what the thing is with that? It's actually comes down to money. So um, oh. a lot of people go with the cheapest version. So the, the active ingredient is DHA, which is the thing that, that turns your skin color. Um, and there's two different ways to get DHA. So you can either get it from um, China, for example, like you can get a lot of things, or um, you can get a higher quality one. So ours is actually sourced from France, um, which is a lot more expensive than um, than the other ones on the market. So for me, when I started this, if you're putting it on your skin, you want to have longevity in the market. So that type of stuff was important to me right from the beginning. So you can come out with something that's crappy and everybody buys it once and then doesn't buy it again. Or you can kind of spend your time making sure that it's going to be something that people are going to buy again and something that people are going to actually like. Right, right. Yeah. So that's like, like, and it seems like such a simple thing. It's like, just have people coming back, but like, it was amazing to me how many companies had not figured that out. So, um, that's awesome. And, uh, so how many years into your business did you decide you wanted to have your own formula? I wanted it from the start, but again, it was a money thing. It was too, so yeah. 
Yeah, so it's a lot of money going into the manufacturing and then the minimums that you have to buy as well too. So um, a lot of people, I know even even as, as much as a few years back, they were like, well, I want to do this. Why don't you create this? And I'm like, okay, well, you need to create it and then you need to buy it in big volume. So tanning products are something that expires. So if you can't sell that product, you're going to be stuck with a lot of it. So you want to make sure before you make a move like that, that you have the market for it. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, so, okay. Tell me about like, I kind of just want to hear about your journey and I know you went on Dragon's Den and all of that. So like how many sort of years in, I think you said you were what, uh, how many years uh, did it take you to get your first franchisee? So I got my first one, um, about two year or two years in. So around 2007, end of 2007. Okay, nice. And how did you even know what to do? I guess, did you have like sort of business experience from the program and maybe like your parents or did you just kind of like innately know what to do? No, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so it, was, it was winging it. Um, I actually, there was a, a lawyer on the board of the school that I went to that helped me do the franchise document. So that was very helpful back then because that's a huge um, part of the process that a lot of people don't know how to do or can't afford. So I had a little bit of help in that way, um, which kind of catapulted me into it. And then also the fact that um, the business model didn't really exist. So I think that helped a little bit, just having something that totally didn't exist. I wasn't jumping into the market, competing with a million people trying to sell the same thing. Right. That makes sense. Um, so two years in, you start with your franchise and then, or franchising, I should say. Um, and then, yeah. And then how did you uh, come across Dragon's Den? Cause I feel like Dragon's Den only came out maybe like what, 10 or 12 years ago to, I remember seeing it. I remember hearing about it in like actually 2007, 2008. So maybe that, that was maybe their first year that they did it. But how did you come across that whole thing? Yeah. So I, I was a big fan. I watched every episode and, um, that was something I was like, I need to be on the show. I want to be on this show. So as soon as I heard there was auditions happening in Toronto, I went and auditioned at the CBC building or, or I think that's where it was. Yeah. The CBC yeah, building. CBC. Um, and back then that was in 2009 when I did the first show and it wasn't super known like it is now. So when I went there, there was a lot of people applying, but I mean, now there's like thousands and thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of people. Um, so I went on there and with TV, as you may know too, it's all about what works on TV or what people want to see or whatnot. So I brought two girls in bikinis, um, which makes you stand out a little bit. Yeah, good thinking. Yeah, so that uh, so that's how I, and also the business model, I don't want to credit it all to that because the business model didn't exist again as well. So that was, you have to stand out a little bit. So what Dragon's Den doesn't like is to put the exact same business idea on because it's not, um, it's not as interesting if they've already seen it before, right? Mm-hmm. So it was through the audition process and it was one of those shows, I've done a few different reality shows and that one is one that actually, it's exactly how you see it on TV. You walk down the stairs, you've never met them before and you pitch your idea right on the spot. They offer you something and then you have to decide kind of on the spot if you like it or not, where a lot of reality shows are totally planned or scripted. Yeah, totally. So that one's not. Did you get a deal? So the first time I did not, Kevin told me my idea was poo-poo. And what, he said it was now. what? Poo-poo is what he said. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because he was still on Dragon's End at the time. Now he's a shark. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, oh my gosh. Little so I wanted to now. crawl in a 
pool and cry right in that moment. Oh, no. I felt stupid, but I kind of just snapped back at him a little bit and it made me just go a little bit harder when I left. I was like, you know what, I'm going to just keep doing this and it's working for me. Um, and then I went back for a second chance show in, I think, 2013. So, so Jim ended up giving me a deal on that show. I love Jim. Hmm. And he was in franchising, so it made yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, but I so he must have probably liked that you were already franchised a little bit at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah, so that's, I think, what made him offer the deal. And at the time I took it, because like I said, on the spot, you're like, oh my God, what do I do, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to not take an opportunity like that. So I said yes. Um, and then you have a little bit of time. You have six months, actually, to think about it after you. Oh, that's that. good. Yeah. A cooling so, off period. Exactly. So after I went home and I thought about it a lot of sleepless nights, um, I decided not to go with it because they wanted to change a lot of things within it. So with my business, it's a lot of mothers um, or people that not don't necessarily have a lot of business experience that are trying to get in the business world and then trying to get into something like franchising, which is usually out of reach for most people because of cost. Right. Um, so my franchise fees are much lower compared to a lot of different um, businesses. So they wanted to change that model and, you know, up the price, up the franchise fees. And I said, that's just, I don't think it's going to work well in my market to be quite honest. So, um, so I ended up, you know, after a lot of sleepless nights decided that that wasn't the right thing to do. And I ended up just kind of going it, like just kept going myself with it. Nice. And so then that was, what, 11 years ago, I guess. So you've still been going like all this time and you have all of these uh, franchises, 30 something you said. Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, so what about, um, what did you say you like train in hotels and stuff like that? Like, are you training specific um, people, like like uh, people that work there or like, are they franchise owners? Like, tell, tell me about that part. Yeah. So in Canada, I haven't tapped into hotels or anything like that, but Egypt specifically, their, their franchise laws are different. So I ended up not structuring it like a franchise. Um, I just went to, they flew me there and there was, um, uh, it's called Golden Spa actually where it is. And it's a very high end, like you walk in and it's like marble everywhere. And like the nicest place in spa that I've ever been into in my life. <laughs> um, and they offer like Turkish baths and stuff like that. So um, so I ended up connecting with, uh, the owner for that. And then he had six spas. So he brought me to all the spas there. So I actually trained, um, I had to do a man and a woman at each spa because in Egypt, their laws are different where the man can't see the woman and vice versa. Mm. So that was an interesting trip all in itself because I only spoke English. The people that I was training only spoke Arabic and the people that we were tanning only spoke Russian. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was interesting. And it was six full days of doing, I did a man and a woman each day at the six different spas. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's how I did that one. And then I went back about six months later and checked on everybody and saw how everything was going. And yeah, so it was a, it was a really cool experience. Amazing. Um, so where kind of is your, or what, what sort of happened in the last like 10 years outside of like your franchise growth? Like I know you've worked with a lot of different like people in the entertainment industry and sports, I think too, right? Do you want to tell me about that stuff? Sure, yeah. So I've done a lot of um, different celebrities that have come through town, like Lady Gaga, um, Kate Beckinsale, um, 
lot of different TV shows here, being Erica. Uh, I work with Cheryl Hickey from AT Canada, um, Jess Kamal Rooney. So a lot of uh, definitely good group of clientele. Um, and then I think just because I've been around so long and then your name kind of circulates in the industry a bit, that's it builds from there, which is nice. Um, and then, you know, getting to travel and, and do different stuff like that. And most recently, actually, when I was in Mexico, my girl there um, set up a meeting for the Four Seasons. So right before this happened, we actually, um, I went to the meeting and got her into um, the Four Seasons Spa there. So they're actually going to put her on the menu as a service and uh, also um, have our Oso products there as well. Beautiful. That's amazing. And actually, that's a perfect segue. Why don't you tell me about the the Oso products? Like that's the like the home kit, right? Yeah. So I have a few different things. Um, the spray can. There's a, a few lotions, um, some moisturizers to go with it, a soap, exfoliating mitt. So it's basically a line that um, goes with a spray tan, or you can use everything without a spray tan. So it's again, same kind of concept. I wanted to make sure the formula was perfect. I want to make sure it's not orange, um, stuff like that. So it's something that, uh, well, the kit that you have is something that you can use either with a spray tan or without. So you do your exfoliation prior to it. Um, and then let's say you're three or four days into your spray tan, it starts to fade a little bit. You can top yourself up with um, the can spray. And if you um, don't have a spray tan at all, like how everybody is right now you can just start from scratch and do your own tan that way um so it was kind of and a big thing with spray tans that people don't understand is the pre and post instructions are so important for the quality of your tan so if you don't exfoliate properly or you have lotions or anything residue on your skin your tan's not going to stick properly and then going to after you've had your first shower if you don't take care of it properly it's going to fade fast or it could come off streaky so for example dove soap peels a spray tan off so um you would have i would have a lot of clients that would say okay my my spray tan went a little bit streaky and right away if they send me a picture i can actually tell if they've used dove soap or not on it oh really what's the tell i don't know what's in it that strips it because you would think that it would be super moisturizing the way they promote it um but there's some ingredient in it that actually literally off of one wash with it, it'll streak your spray tan and just kind of like slough it right off. So if, if you want to remove it, I would tell you to use Dove. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the soap that we have in the moisturizer, like we have a coconut oil, a shea butter, it's, it's really sticking on the natural side because it's the perfumes and the, the extra chemicals is what strips your tan. So we wanted to have something that goes along with that to make sure that we can guarantee that your tan's not going to um, fade off or, or act funny on you. Mm-hmm. And what was the whole process of like start, like when did you start with your own products? Like how many years into your business? That was late in actually. So I just started that probably about three years ago and um, how I, I kind of always wanted to do it, but I left it on the back burner. And then I was just, I was in China actually. And I went to like a silk factory and I found these little cocoon exfoliating things. Um, and then that's for some odd reason has nothing to do with tanning, but that's what made me actually want to start my own product line. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And there's gotta be um, good natural products out there that work with the tan. So that's kind of what triggered it. Um, I started with the cocoons a little bit, but it just didn't fly here. <laughs> Sorry, so, you started with the what? Can you repeat that please? Yeah, with the little um, cocoon. So they're actually like, a cocoon and you stick it like a silk cocoon and you stick it on your finger 
and you exfoliate with it. Oh. So it was really weird here anyways. It didn't, it didn't fly. I didn't know how to promote it, but that opened up my eyes to start looking into different, you know, natural type of products. So our soap, for example, only has four ingredients. Our shea butter is uh, fair trade sourced from Africa. Our coconut oil is um, cold pressed sourced from Philippines, so really high quality. So it kind of made me start to look into products and stuff. So for the tanning stuff, I work with my manufacturers that I do with the um, solutions, but for the other products, I had to go elsewhere to find those. Okay, I see. That's awesome. Um, and what made you like, did you know from the beginning that you wanted to have it all organic and everything? Or was that just sort of like what you were finding in the marketplace? Like that's what they were demanding. No, I wanted to make sure that it was um, made with organic ingredients because I feel a lot of people, it's going on your skin. So you want to make sure what you're putting on your skin is uh, proper. So I know just because I only started in the last three years, maybe 15 years ago, it wasn't so big or so important or people just weren't as aware of it, I guess you could say. Um, mm -hmm. So it was important to me to have, again, high quality and something that was actually not going to be harmful to you. Right. Um, yeah. And honest to God, like, I'm even just like looking at my arms now because I only did like my upper body um, and my arms, but like it's faded so nicely. Like it's faded like a natural tan. Um, and truthfully, like I'm really not just saying that because uh, this because we're chatting like if I didn't like it I just probably wouldn't very, say very much um but okay. it's it's really like honest to god as far especially as like tanning products go because like they're like you almost expect it like if I use a tanning product like I know that it's going to be streaky eventually I know it's going to be orange like I just accept because I'm like in my mind I'm like there's no other option that's just what the product is eventually it's going to do that but like I'm still waiting for that to happen like it looks like I just actually got a natural tan and honestly I haven't even been taking like the best care of it um like i've moisturized a little bit after like showers and stuff but like i'm at home so i've just been lazy like i'm not going out or anything like that right mm -hmm. um so yeah and it's still lasting like really really well so it's obviously a really good solution so like it sounds like you you have a knack for sort of um you know like researching and putting um things together and doing all that and where is it manufactured your, your spray tanning your um so and spray it's actually manufactured in um, California. Oh, and beautiful. the reason why I did that, well, one, Canada is expensive for manufacturing anything. It's yeah, made. oh my God. Maybe this will all change that though, but here it's just so far out of reach. I do manufacture a few of the products here, but specifically the solution, there's two main places to manufacture, which is Florida and California. Um, and I call Florida the Wild West. Of Me Australia. too. Yeah. I think everybody does. It's truly the wild, wild like, I think the South in general, but like Florida is the wild, wild West, honest to God. Yeah. And they don't have very many restrictions. So no. there's actually um, products that were found with like arsenic in it and oh God, different things like that in Florida. So um, California actually has a Proposition 65 law. I'm not sure if you heard of that. No. no. Okay. So it's a law that basically forces anyone, anything that's manufactured, if there's any ingredient in it or any of the equipment that's used or the manufacturing or anything like that has anything that could be cancer causing or harmful ingredients, they have to, um, they have to say that and they have to put it on their labels. So yeah. in Florida, what they would do is they make you something and they'll leave out an ingredient or they'll, they just won't mention that it's harmful, but mm. somewhere like California, I know I feel safe getting it manufactured there because they have to follow certain guidelines. Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah it's so crazy. Cool. You don't even they don't even have income tax in uh, Florida. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I didn't like know that. It is insane. Like yeah, it's just so so weird. Um, but yeah, it's weird because you'd think that just like being transparent about ingredients would be like common knowledge thing, but like it's it's not for so many different places on the planet and even like Canada I feel like we we allow a lot of ingredients to fly like we're probably maybe one of the better countries but compared to like Europe I think we're kind of like the wild wild west like we allow so much or you would know better but that was like that's like my information that I have um oh that's just, that's so true like Europe is so much better but the challenge with Europe is obviously super well, expensive the, super expensive to do it and then to get it here yeah uh, but they are much better. Like, I don't know why Canada and U.S. doesn't follow suit with them because it's insane, the stuff that we allow in products and even food. Um, yeah, totally. It's like, wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so all those type of things really, you know, make a difference. And it's a lot of things where people do, I see here a lot of fly-by-night type of products. Someone kind of throws it together, slaps a label on it and sells it out of their backyard. And you can take that route, but eventually it may catch up to you. So I think it's always smart to be um, extra diligent when you're doing things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and have you ever like considered branching off into other types of businesses or like more beauty product type of things? Or are you like pretty much sticking to like tan skin? And sorry, you have tanning stuff. You, you said you have soap as well and shea butter and coconut oil. Yeah. So that all kind of goes along with right. uh, making sure your tan is great. Yeah. So how, so it sounds like so far you've sort of stuck to your sort of core business plan. Have you ever considered going um, out and exploring other businesses? I have for sure. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've checked into eyelashes or teeth whitening or all these different things like that. But I always kind of come back to the same um, advice that I like to give people is when you're good at something, and this doesn't work for everybody, but I feel like you have to, you know, work on that one thing that you're amazing at and make that amazing. Um, because I find when people do too many different things, one business will suffer. So if I wanted to all of a sudden introduce teeth whitening to go with my tanning, then I have to kind of divide my time between both because they, although they could go together, they're, they are two separate businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and then liability wise too, you're kind of opening the door to a few different things like you know eyelashes you're you're playing with people's eyes and teeth whitening you're you're playing with people's teeth so I wanted to be careful on that end that I wasn't uh exposing myself to any of that type of liability right and um are you physically still tanning people or do you have like employees that go out and do that for you now so I don't do much of it myself in Toronto I kept the Toronto franchise basically and I still run that um, in addition to the to the franchisees and I have about 10 girls that work for me in Toronto okay so if somebody books an appointment so someone can book a Toronto appointment with your franchise but then it'll be somebody else that comes and does the tan exactly and then there's a few people that I have that come in from out of town and stuff like that that I will do the odd one but not on a regular Okay. And what's sort of your process? Do you pitch like a little mini tent in the person's house and then just like go to town with a, like, like I've just gotten them done before. So I, that's what was my experience. But is that sort of how you work? Yeah, exactly. Just go in someone's house, pop it up. And we're usually in and out in about 20, 25 minutes. And, uh, and that's it really. 
beautiful. And if someone wants to, okay, actually, this is, I'm, this is just a question of my own that I'm just genuinely curious for. I've heard every different piece of advice under the sun. So I've heard, so if you have an event, let's say you have, um, like a wedding or something and you have to start like early on a Saturday morning. Are, are you advising people to get the tan in the evening, the night before, or a full 24 hours before? Cause I've heard like, you know, get it the morning of, and then like rinse it off, get it the night before sleep on it. Like I've heard ever. And like, I think I've tried everything too. And I'm just like, no matter what something ends up failing. <laughs> okay. So my advice is never do it. So if you're going to, especially for a wedding or an important event, try to do a trial first if possible if not possible then do it two days in advance because oh, that ooh. yeah i like that the most because you're still going to have prime color on the day of and then it always gives you the opportunity the next day if anything has gone wrong knock on wood um that you can fix it still so if you do it the day before your wedding and you wake up and you slept on your hand your hand is all you know discolored or anything along those lines right. you can't fix it so um, and then it also gives it a little bit of time to tone down. So I don't know if you've noticed from experience after your first shower, it, it can be intense, but then once you've had your second shower, it kind of tones down a bit. That's actually really true. It's, it becomes, it almost like normalizes like the first time you're kind of like, Whoa, like you got a spray tan. And then afterwards people are like, Oh no, you're just tanned. Like you can't really tell that it was a spray tan, but I've always, um, I've always been afraid to do two days because I'm like, I don't want it to wash off, but I guess it just depends on the solution. Like, I guess you're like, I know from experience now from using the at home kit, like your, your solution is good and it doesn't really like rinse away. But I guess like, I don't know, that's always been sort of my fear, but is that sort of a solution thing or is that like, what type of problem I guess is that? It is. Yeah. So a lot of um, solutions I've heard from a lot of people only last like two or three days. The home kits are a little bit different. So they, I would say for a home kit, you're going to get, three to five days out of the color, whereas a, where the spray tan, you'll get five to seven days of color out of it. Um, oh. And that's in general. And if it's only lasting two or three days, then you're wasting your money. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, so two days, like if we're doing filming or anything like that, same thing, I always suggest two days in advance. And um, for continuity for filming, I get them to do it every five days. So you're kind of at your prime in those five days and then you start over. Right, that makes sense. Amazing. Um, and what other like cool business stuff have I not asked you about that or, or like, do you have any like an interesting stories about your business that you want to share? Um, I think we've covered actually quite a bit, like all the way back. So that's been kind of how I did it throughout. It's been a lot of trial and error and not everything works the first time you try it or, um, Ooh, I, I'm curious about something. Have you ever, um, have you ever like like sat down and been like, okay, I can't, I have to give up on this. Like I can't keep going. Have you ever had anything like really close to that? Or have you always just kind of kept going? Yeah, no, I think that a lot. And I think a lot of business owners do because it gets overwhelming, especially I think when you, with me, I started 15 years ago. So the way things are then and the way things are now are so different. Mm -hmm. um, social media is a little bit of a challenge for me because it wasn't big when I started and now it's huge. Um, so it gets frustrating. And then, you know, as competition arises, you have to be on your game. Like you cannot sleep. Like as a business owner, you always have to be recreating and rethinking and getting up and doing it all over again. And your energy has to be the same the day you started as 15 years later. And if you let that slide, it'll show. 
and someone else is always there to come in and, and uh, pick up where you're slacking. So you have to stay on top of your game. So have you ever had any close calls of giving up or, or never? No, I wouldn't say totally giving up. Wanting to sell, yes. Um, just because, it, it, like I said, it's overwhelming. Like, it, that's all I do is work. I don't really go out. I don't do anything. Um, it's, it's literally working. What, even if it's in my home, it's 18 hours a day. So there's a lot of times I'm like, oh, I just want to have a normal life and go out on a Friday or, you know, mm -hmm. enjoy myself a little bit better. So in that sense, yes. But then in the back of my mind, I'm like, what are you going to do? Well, you're probably going to start another business and you're going to be yeah that's the thing business. right yeah so if i could um stop and have enough money to live the rest of my life i think i'd probably do that okay but um knowing you know i'm 38 years old i have a long time ahead of me i'm definitely not anywhere near um retiring so i think in that sense knowing that i would have to just hop into something else and start from scratch i'd rather just kind of stick with what i know and stick with what's working and keep Mm-hmm. Because plus two, I think if you're an entrepreneur, like you just always will be for the rest of your life. So like, even if like, I've had those instances too, where I'm just like, oh, it'd be so nice to like, you know, just have a normal life, or like have normal hours or a normal schedule. But then as soon as you get a taste of that, it's like, it's almost like, okay, for five days, you're like, I enjoyed this, but like, now I'm ready to like go back to my normal chaos. And so it's like, even if you, like you said, even if you did sell or get out of it or something, I feel like you just get bored all of a sudden and then like itch to start something new. Exactly. And I think as the years go on, um, I'm liking it more because I'm able to, for example, I, I have a house in Mexico, so I'm able to go there and work because I'm not the one doing my tans anymore. So I can go for a couple of weeks at a time and do as much work as possible out of there. And I have a lot more flexibility. So a lot of people aren't patient. So I think what happens is people think they're going to start a business and then the next day they're going to make money and it mm -hmm. doesn't go that way. Uh, so that's what I tell a lot of people. I didn't start making money till you know, five years in or something like that. So it's once you get past all of those um, stepping stones or roadblocks or whatever you want to call them, and you start actually enjoying the fruits of the labor that you've done for the last 15 years, it starts to get, uh, I don't want to say easier, but I guess a little bit easier. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Amazing. Um, Oh, and I wanted to ask you, where do you sort of see the business going, um, like, I guess, in the future or, you know, towards the rest of this year or next year? So I, before all this started, I really wanted to start focusing internationally because um, a lot of places don't have it. So, for example, the girl that bought in Puerto Vallarta, she had just moved there and nobody else does it there. So she it internationally, it kind of reminds me of me when I first started. There's really a huge market for it. And if you're the first to market, you're going to do very, very well. So I think kind of focusing on um, that was my goal for this year, which is going to be sideswiped right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but going forward, when we get back to normal, I'm going to focus a lot on that, I think. Nice. Yeah, I, I think we like don't even think about it, especially being in North America. Like I know personally, I kind of think about like Canada, the U.S. and then you're like, okay, that's it. Like, you, like you just kind of like write off the rest of the world. Like, I know I, I can do that a lot. And like, even this year myself too, I'm like, no, there's like so many, you know, other opportunities and huge markets that are completely overlooked that we, cause we just think we're like the center of the universe here in North America. <laughs> right. And there's huge populations like Dubai yeah. is something that's kind of on my list. I want to try to get there somewhere. So I'm putting it out there. Hopefully it happens. <laughs> nice. Good luck. Um, 
but yeah, all those type of places are there. People care about beauty everywhere in the world. So mm-hmm. um, there is definitely opportunity. And like I said, it's, it's, everything's farther behind. So in Mexico, like I said, it hasn't really started yet. Now she's there and the traction she's getting is amazing because um, not only just being first there, but if you don't have a lot of competition on Google, you're the only one that pops up. Right? So yeah. you're, you're good. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I wa- so I want to ask about your sneakers. I, you already showed me a picture. They look so cool, but tell me the story about your favorite sneakers. Yeah. So my son is a sneakerhead. <laughs> He's 15 and our house is taken over by sneakers. So anytime there's anything <laughs> to do with sneakers, we have to do it. Like we go to, we plan our trips around release dates and uh, all that type of stuff where we drive. You, you know, are I'm, amazing parents. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone to New York and I've taken like 10 cabs. It probably cost me like a hundred and something dollars in cabs to get to this shoe that I never ended up getting to. But um, so anyways, the shoes that I showed you are, we actually went and custom made them at the Jordan store. Um, so the Toronto one, yeah? Yeah, the Toronto one, they had a little workshop where they're, I think it's called hydro dipping or something. So me and my son went together and kind of spent an afternoon on it and we dipped our shoes and we got to pick our own laces. And those ones specifically that I showed, we called them the galaxy shoes. Nice. That's awesome. There's so much, I know there's so much like around it, especially now there's so much like creative, like DIYs and, and like customization happening. Like it's really cool. Yeah, and it's nice to have something that's one of a kind or different or actually that you can, you know, share an experience and this is this is how that got created. So mm-hmm. nice. Um, and I'm gonna post it on Instagram when your episode's released. So everybody listening will see what uh you're talking about, which is perfect. Awesome. Um okay, and I know you gave us a lot of advice already throughout the podcast, but if you could just pick like one of your top pieces of advice for people, um, like business owners and people wanting to do what you're doing, what would it be? stay consistent. Um, So I think it's really important, like I had mentioned before, of having that same excitement you had when you started. You have to stay consistent and I think you have to master what you're doing. So don't try to be all over the map and be good at everything. Pick something you're good at, stick to it, stay consistent over the years, and then you will see it pay off over time. Amazing. Um, that's it. Thank you so much, Nicole. Um, you guys can follow Nicole, uh, listening, uh, on Instagram at tan on the run. And I will mention that there's like a ton of them because it's all the different franchises, but it'll say like tan on the run, like Richmond Hill or, or whatever the case. Um, so she's just tan on the run, like the OG one. Um, and if you guys are listening on Apple podcasts and want to give a five-star review, that would be great. Otherwise, thank you so much. I hope you guys are doing okay in isolation and, um, I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great week and don't get caught wearing dirty sneakers. Bye everyone.